Welcome to the Yoga Inspired Life Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Quinn, and together we'll go on a journey of self-discovery as we explore all of the inner workings of what it means to live an inspired life. Join me for solo episodes and conversations with special guests for real, authentic deep dives into all things yoga, wellness, self-love, mindfulness, and everything in between. If you're ready to get inspired, learn, grow, evolve, to connect, and up-level your life, then you've come to the right place. I am beyond excited that you're here, so let's dive in. Welcome back to the pod. I'm so happy to have you today. Today, I want to dive into some yoga philosophy with you because for me personally, diving into yoga philosophy not only changed the way that I viewed and practiced yoga, but it has absolutely changed my life. So many of us, myself included, are introduced to yoga through the physical practice. And, and by the physical practice, I mean downward facing dog, wheel pose, warrior one, etc. But yoga is so much more than just a physical practice. In fact, the physical practice of yoga or the asana practice is just one piece of yoga as a whole. To kind of explain this in an analogy, I want you to picture a tree. Imagine yoga as a tree and it has eight branches. Each branch on the tree of yoga is representing a particular aspect of yoga as a whole. Well, the physical practice of yoga is only one branch. One of eight. The tree of yoga, as I'm referring to it right now, is formally known as the eight limbs of yoga. That's limbs, L-I-M-B-S, and just in case I'm not enunciating correctly. (laughs) The eight limbs of yoga originate from the classical yoga text called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Patanjali is known as a sage, and while the text is called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, it's my understanding that it's pretty unlikely that only one person wrote these texts, and far more likely that the texts are the culmination of what a group of Patanjali's disciples wrote over a period of time. Without going into too much detail, the Yoga Sutras are like a guide or an instruction manual on how to live in order to advance along a spiritual path towards enlightenment. The name Eight Limbs comes from the Sanskrit term Ashtanga and refers to the Eight Limbs of Yoga from the Great Patanjali, which again, like I said, can be found in the Book of Yoga Sutras. The Eight Limbs of Yoga offer guidance on how to live a meaningful and purposeful life, and through the practice of the Eight Limbs, we're able to connect back to a place of unlimited inner power, which is a power that will always be able to support and sustain us through life. This ancient yogic text is a roadmap that any of us can take to reach the summit of the human experience. According to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, there's an eightfold path leading to liberation known as the Ashtanga Yoga System, or again, the eight limbs of yoga. The word Ashta means eight and Anga means limb. So these eight limbs in the Yoga Sutras are each describing a different aspect of the yoga practice as a whole. And each of them are kind of like a different step on the ladder to liberation and enlightenment. And I do just want to note that there is a style of asana, right, physical practice of yoga called Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, but that's not the same as Ashtanga Yoga, which refers to the eight limbs. I know that's super confusing, but again, there's a physical style of yoga called Ashtanga Vinyasa, and then we have Ashtanga Yoga, which is referring to the eight limbs of yoga. Okay, so today I kind of want to chat with you about the first two limbs, 
out of the eight limbs of yoga, and that is the yamas and the niyamas. And before we get into this, I think it's really important to note that these two come before the asana practice. The yamas and the niyamas come before the physical practice of yoga and the eight limbs of yoga. The yamas and the niyamas are known as moral codes or ways of quote-unquote right living. They can kind of be explained as similar to like the Ten Commandments of yoga, right? So when followed, it means we're carrying the moral code of yoga throughout every aspect of our life. The first limb is yama. And yama has to do with ethics, integrity, and how we practice yoga off the mat in relation to others. The word yama is often translated as restraint, moral discipline, or moral vow, and Patanjali states that these vows are completely universal. So no matter who you are, where you come from, regardless of your current situation or where you're heading, these vows can be committed to and applied to your life. And I think that the idea of being moral can be difficult at times, which is why this is considered a very important practice of yoga. Remember that the word yoga means unity or to yoke, wholeness, connectedness. And while it's super important to be mindful and gentle and present in your yoga practice, I think that if this doesn't translate off the mat and connect into what we do in our day-to-day lives, we never really get to feel the true, powerful depth of the benefits of yoga. In regards to being moral towards others or moral in your life towards the world, I think that if you shift your perspective from a me mentality, right, like seeing yourself as separate from the rest of the world and start to see yourself in all things, like all things in the world and seeing wholeness in relation to everything in this world, being moral to all things takes on a whole new meaning because whether your actions are towards yourself or towards others, If we're unified, if we are all one, your actions towards others is actually towards you too, if that makes sense. The yamas traditionally guide us towards practices concerned with the world around us, but I think that we can also take them as a guide of how to act towards ourselves as well. The second limb is niyama, and the word niyama often translates as positive duties or observances and are thought of as recommended habits for healthy living and spiritual existence. Niyamas has to do with self-discipline and spiritual practices in relation to ourselves. But of course, just like the yamas, I think that we can think of them as affecting the outside world as well. So I think that both the yamas and niyamas can be interchangeable in regards to relating to ourselves and relating to the rest of the world. So there are five yamas and there are five niyamas. The yamas are number one, ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And nonviolence begins with our actions, and I think that on some level this is a really easy stage to understand, to not physically hurt others, but ahimsa also is about nonviolence in speech, the way you speak to others and the way you speak to yourself. And then there's also ahimsa in your thoughts, which I think oftentimes is referred to as the hardest to remove because it requires us to be really diligent with our thoughts. And this takes a lot of practice because of the complexity of our minds. The second yama is satya, which means truth, truthfulness. And I'm sure that you've heard of the expression, the truth will set you free. And the reason we hear that is because when we violate the truth by telling lies, no matter how big or small, we pollute our minds. And when our minds become murky and polluted, we can become imprisoned within our own self-created confusion. But by aligning our speech and our actions with truthfulness, we stand on stable ground. 
And I know that speaking the truth and being honest can sometimes be really difficult, but in the end, honesty is the best policy. I'm telling you, the truth will truly set you free. The third yama is asteya, which translates to non-stealing. And I'm sure we all understand what stealing is, but for, for the record, stealing is taking from someone else that which is not freely given. And the most obvious way of practicing this yama is refraining from stealing someone else's personal possessions or money, but it can also be applied to not stealing another person's time and energy. Which for me brings up the topic of setting boundaries, you know, when I think about this, because some people can overstep boundaries and take your time and your energy. So I think boundaries is really important to practice when we're thinking about this yama. And stealing, in my opinion, is really rooted in lack. The need to steal essentially arises because of a lack of faith in ourselves to be able to create what we need by ourselves. And it is said that a person firmly grounded within non-stealing or asteya will have a steady stream of wealth coming their way. One who feels abundance also attracts abundance. And when you're rooted in non-stealing and have a steady stream of abundance coming your way and you're feeling abundant and attracting abundance, you no longer feel the need to chase after opportunities because you're in a vibrational state of attracting the opportunities and abundance that you desire. The fourth yama is brahmacharya, which translates to celibacy or the right use of energy. And brahmacharya is sort of a controversial topic among modern yogis because we are simply just, we're living in different times, you know. In ancient times, yogis would renounce all forms of sexual activity. And the thinking around this was that they could use the sexual energy that they harness from abstaining to further progress along the yogic path. And I think that in today's world, you can take this yama as literally as you would like. But for myself personally, when I think of brahmacharya, I think of valuing my energy and being more mindful and intentional with whom I share my energy with. And also, while this yama is traditionally spoken about in relation to sexual energy, I think it can also be applied in a modern way beyond that. The common misconception that brahmacharya is all about celibacy means it's often overlooked in our modern culture, which is sad to me because I really think that it can be such a powerful guide in creating a life that you love living. The word brahmacharya actually translates as behavior which leads to Brahman. And a Brahman is thought of as the creator in Hinduism and yogic terms. So what we're basically talking about here is behavior which leads us towards the divine or higher power. So when we say brahmacharya as right use of energy, I think it really leads us to consider how we actually use and direct not just our sexual energy, but our energy as a whole. Brahmacharya also invites us to consider directing our energy away from external desires. You know, the pleasures which seem really great at the time, but are ultimately fleeting. And instead, refocusing our energy towards finding peace and happiness within ourselves. The fifth yama is aparigraha, non-greed, non-possessiveness. Also, let me just say, these are Sanskrit words. I am a California girl. I'm not, I'm not giving these beautiful Sanskrit terms the pronunciation that they deserve. So just please excuse me. <laughs> um, so non-greed, non-possessiveness. And when I think of non-greed, I think of most obviously not taking more that I need, not hoarding, but I also think of non-attachment. And attachment is often related to suffering because the reality is that everything is impermanent. 
Everything is in a constant state of change. And when we resist change and we try to attach to something that's temporary, we create suffering for ourselves. And I think something else to consider in regards to non-greed is that greed is about getting, taking, hoarding for ourselves, which creates a divide between us and the rest of the world, which cultivates more selfishness and isolation, which is just low vibe energy. And it's also going against the idea of yoga as a whole, right? Yoga is about yoking, unity, wholeness. So when you shift your perspective to see yourself in all beings, you understand that by giving and sharing with others, you are giving and sharing with yourself because we are all one. We're all connected. Are you still with me? I hope you're hanging in there. I know this is a lot. There's a reason why I did three yoga teacher trainings. Just saying. Okay, let's move on to the niyamas. The first niyama is saucha, which means self-purification or cleanliness. Purity starts with our external spaces, such as our home or our car or your office. And in Chinese tradition, there's feng shui. And in yoga, there is a tradition called vatsu. And the idea in both systems is that a clean, open, uncluttered space allows room for energy to flow. And on my YouTube channel and in my self-discovery program, The Yoga Inspired Life, and actually just in my life in general, cleaning, organizing, purging, creating space, all of these things are really important because I fully understand and see the value in cleanliness and creating space. Beyond that, Saucha is also about eating nutritious foods that are pure and clean and also becoming more conscious of what we feed the senses. For example, the type of TV and media you're consuming, as well as your thoughts and the words you're speaking and the purity of your intentions and really the purity of all things. The second niyama is Santosha, which translates to contentment. The definition of contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction, but to me, contentment is about maintaining equanimity through all of life's ebbs and flows. And the definition of equanimity is mental calmness and composure and an evenness of temper all the time, but especially in difficult situations. Equanimity is about holding your energy in an equal state right? Regardless of what's happening around you. To me, it's about true balance. We all have a choice in whether we focus on the goodness and abundance that is present in our lives or whether we choose to focus on lack. But an attitude of gratitude breeds abundance. At the same time, contentment is not about settling or complacency. If you are in a harmful or hurtful or upsetting situation, then you 1000% should act to move out of that situation as quickly as possible. And if that's the case, you know the key is to move through that challenge with contentment and nobility. But contentment to me is about optimism, finding satisfaction in what is, and it's about acceptance. And also this is kind of off topic, but you know, I think that within contentment, when you're in a constant state of gratitude, you're really able to create a strong momentum of abundance and good energy that paves the way for you to manifest more goodness and abundance in your life. The third niyama is tapas, which often translates to self-discipline. And the definition of tapas is to burn. And just like boiling water removes impurities, we too can create a positive burn or fire within ourselves. And there's many forms of tapas, but the idea here is that through discipline and by staying aligned with our tapas, we have the potential to invoke very powerful stages of transformation. And I really think that any practice that ignites an energetic fire within you can be a form of tapas, right? Your yoga practice could be a form of tapas or your meditation practice could be a form of tapas. 
The fourth niyama is svadhyaya, which translates to self-study. And self-study is all about growth. The moment we stop growing is the moment we stop living. Life is about movement, evolution, and change. The opposite of that is death, and death is stagnation. So we always want to continue to grow. And this niyama, to me, is about learning and expanding and having the humility to never think that we know it all. Right? We have to stay committed to our quest to learn more. And self-study is how we achieve this. And I actually think a lot of us lose this when we move into adulthood, right? As children, we're constantly in this state of learning. But then something happens when we begin to shift into adulthood. And the ego is like, we know it all. But the truth is that no matter what stage of life you're at, there is always something for us to learn and improve upon. It's like, I'll give an example. I always say, yes, yes, I am a yoga teacher. Yes, I have done three yoga teacher trainings. Yes, I have over 600 hours. Yes, I have been practicing and studying yoga for over 11 years, which is crazy. But I am always first and foremost a student. Self-study will ignite an inner passion that makes life amazing and exciting because you're rooted in an ever-changing state of growth and expansion. Self-study or self-discovery can be done in so many different ways. So whether it's enrolling in a self-discovery program like the Yoga Inspired Life or watching an inspiring TED Talk or an uplifting YouTube video or a documentary or reading a spiritual text or a self-development book. All of these are forms of self-study and this is super powerful to engage in on a daily basis because this is where you grow and expand and up-level. The fifth niyama is Ishvara Pranidhana, which means self-surrender or contemplation of a higher power. And this is all about giving reverence or a deep respect to a force that is much bigger than our own limited ego. And when we devote ourselves to a higher power, it gives us perspective. We transcend out of a me mentality and ascend into unity and connectedness with the universe as a whole. And I think that through this niyama, we realize that although on a superficial level, things appear separate, on a deeper level, we recognize everything is connected. And this is important because in knowing that everything is connected, we realize that everything we think, say, and do doesn't just affect our own inner world, but our outer world as well. This is moving from selfish to selfless. This is understanding that by giving to others, we ultimately give back to ourselves. Right, I mentioned this earlier, but being able to see yourself in all things allows you to behave in the world and relate to all beings differently because you understand that we are all one. And that is actually the meaning of namaste. The divine in me recognizes the divine in you. Whew, okay, I know that was a lot. I hope you're still listening. <laughs> a lot to process. So I'm going to leave you with that today. And I hope that that all made sense. And again, I always joke that there's a reason why I did three yoga teacher trainings. There's just so much to learn. There's so much to take in and process and unpack. But that's why I think this practice is so much fun is because there's just endless things to learn. And if you're feeling called to learn more, I actually have a really good book that I highly recommend. I linked it for you in the show notes. It's called The Yamas and Niyamas by Deborah Adele. And I also have a few short and sweet blog posts up on my blog that touch on the Yamas and Niyamas. And I will link those in the show notes for you too. Before I go, I just want to also say to those of you that have taken the time to leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, thank you so 
much. Seriously, I was reading your reviews and it was just giving me so much life and so much inspiration to keep this podcast going. I know I've mentioned this before, but this podcast is a total passion project and I'm so more than happy to do it. It makes makes me excited and I hope that you're enjoying it. But it's hard for me to measure metrics because... I typically measure metrics through comments on Instagram or, you know, feedback on my story or messages in my DMs or whatever it might be. But podcasting is interesting because I'm just kind of putting it up there. People are listening and we don't typically have a dialogue about it. So when you leave a review, it helps me know that you are enjoying the podcast and that makes me excited and that makes me want to continue to show up each week for you. So thank you so much to those of you that have done that for me. I really appreciate it. If you are enjoying the podcast and you haven't left a rating and a review, I would be so grateful if you did that. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it really does make a big difference and it will only take you a couple of minutes and it would really help me in the pot out. So that is all I have for you today. Sending you so much love. Wishing you an amazing week. I've got some really good guests coming up the rest of this month. So make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. And I will catch you in next week's episode. And that's a wrap on another episode of the Yoga Inspired Life podcast. I hope you got something valuable from it and feel empowered to take inspired action. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending time with me today. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I loved creating it, then please subscribe and leave a review. And if you know of anyone that would benefit from the podcast, I would love it if you would share it with them. I always say that we rise by lifting others, and this is a totally independent podcast. So every little bit of support truly means so much to me. If you're looking for more, let's connect on Instagram. You can find me at Shayla Quinn. I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you again for listening and I'll catch you next week.